listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 336, and today we are talking about books being released on November 9th, 2021, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Vanessa Diaz, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Vanessa! Liberty! Hi! How's it going? We're falling apart. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I am quite sick, but it's not going to stop me. Indeed, either. <laughs> I've recorded the show with bronchitis, with laryngitis. Mm-hmm. I seem to have the flu. I don't know. Something. I have my first cold in two years, and I'm being a giant baby about it. Or I'm getting <laughs> technically over it, I guess, but I'm in that lingering cough stage, and my voice sounds a little distorted. It's a great time. But we are yeah. here, and we made it. Yeah. I love, re- I mean, like, very few things stop me from recording the show. I did it with a concussion. <laughs> I do not recommend. You know, like, <laughs> you know, it's like, what else? Oh, I was like, what What was the time where I got hit on the head? But I didn't get hit on the head. The books. The book. The, there's yes. like an old recording with me and Rebecca where the shelf snapped and all the books fell down. And she was like, um, are you okay? <laughs> she was like, boom, 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 boom. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's fine. That Keep was going. a good one. I was like, it's fine. The this show must happens. go on. I'm surprised it doesn't happen more often, honestly. <laughs> So, but it's cool. I mean, even falling apart, I can talk about books. I love books. You love books. We can do this. Yes. It'll be a piece of cake. Totally. Mmm, cake. Now oh, I want some cake. Me too. It's November, which means that, you know, the list of things to choose from is getting much, much smaller. Plus, it seems like they've moved most of November's books out Yep. to next month, which I don't understand, or even further down the road. So, but we have some great stuff to talk about today. I'm excited. Yeah, before we do that, we are going to hear from a sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Sourcebooks Landmark. So King Solomon says something very interesting to his son before he dies, and that is, quote, don't let the white man take the house, end quote. These, as I just mentioned, are King Solomon's last words to his son as he dies. Now, all four Solomon siblings must return to North Carolina to save the kingdom, their ancestral home, and 200 acres of land from a development company. Told in alternating viewpoints, Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris is a searing portrait of the power of family and letting go of things that no longer serve you, exploring the burden of familial expectations, the detriment of miscommunication, and the lessons and legacies we pass on to our children. It's an explosive and emotional story of four siblings, each fighting their own personal battle, because who isn't, who return home in the wake of their father's death. Make sure to check out Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris. And thanks again to Sourcebooks Landmark for sponsoring this episode. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, so I am so delighted to be talking about this first book because I read it and immediately it went to the top of my list of books for the year. It's a a small list of my favorite favorites that I love, and this is going to be one of them. It is The Sentence by Louise Erdrich. It's so 
Good. Now, she is just coming off winning the Pulitzer Prize for The Night Watchmen, and already she's knocking our socks off again. The sentence is about a Native woman in Minnesota named Tukey. The book takes place... You get a little backstory about Tukey, and then it basically takes place from All Souls Day 2019 to All Souls Day in 2020. Now, Tukey has had a hard life, and she has a complicated past. At the beginning of the book, we learn that uh, she committed a crime for her best friend. Her best friend asked her to do something, and she loved her best friend so much, and she went ahead and, and did it. But as soon as it was over, you know, they knew it was her. Her best friend rolled over on her, blamed the whole thing on her. And what actually happened was even more complex than what she knew, like the crime itself, which I'm not going to tell you. But it ends up that because of what happened, it's a federal crime and not just what Tukey thought it was. And she goes before the judge who decides he wants to make an example of her and gives her a very harsh sentence. And she's devastated. She did not expect any of this to happen at all. And so she's in prison and a teacher that she had when she was younger sends her a dictionary, which she starts reading. And each month sends her books. And as she's in prison for this long amount of time, you know, books really get her through. And um, when she gets out of prison, Tuki applies to bookstores because, quote, the most important skill I gained in prison was how to read with murderous attention, end quote, which I just, I just love. Like, reading with murderous attention is such a great, a great quote. But the only bookstore that will hire Tuki is Birch Bark Books, which is a lot to say. Wow. Birch Bark Books. And if that bookstore sounds familiar, it is because it is the real indie bookstore owned by Louise Erdrich, who is also a small character in her own novel. Birchbark Books specializes in native works, and Tuki and Louise are Ojibwe, and Tuki gets a job at the bookstore. She she does every she learns everything she can about the store, uh, and she starts straightening her life out. She gets married, she gives up her old ways, and then Flora dies. Flora is who Tuki calls her most annoying customer. Flora is a white woman in her 60s who is obsessed with Native culture. She attends all the Native events in the area. She dresses in Native garb. She claims a Native great-grandmother that she's never been able to prove. And she just irritates Tuki to no end. But, like, annoyed with her. But not really offended, because as she explains, this is kind of a normal occurrence. People are, are often seeking to identify with Native people to show that they're not racist. And then Flora dies. She dies on All Saints Day in 2019, and she begins to haunt the bookstore. And Tukey seems to be the only one that she visits. So now Tukey's working, and she's got Flora, and she can hear her talking, and, and she, basically she feels like Flora is annoying her some more from beyond. And now during this time, there is the killing of George Floyd by the police in Minneapolis, and Minneapolis just explodes. It becomes rocked by police violence, and it's a town divided, and there's also the pandemic going on. And the book follows these events to All Saints Day in 2020. It's a very complex, layered story told through one of the best characters I have read in the last few years. I, I absolutely love Tukey. Uh, Tukey is experiencing the racism that comes with being a Native woman, you know, starting with like, well, not starting with, but like in the book we first learned, like through her prison sentence, as Erdrick explains, more women, there are more women in prison in Minnesota alone than in all of Canada. And... Tukey also experiences fetishism and racism in her everyday life, uh, and, and she talks about what it feels like to belong to a people in a country that tried to eradicate her people, and living through a pandemic, and literally being haunted. I read an interview with Erdrich recently, uh, and she said that she wrote this novel in real time, and it was the hardest book that she's ever written. It's 
superb. It's absolutely superb. I, there's that quote that I'm not going to be able to to say correctly right now about how like the hardest, the the easiest books to read are probably the hardest to write. The ones that just seem like so effortless are always the ones that you know are always the hardest for the authors to write, and that definitely seems like this because this just flows beautifully. And Erdrich has like a, a dozen or so books. She's won a zillion awards. Like I said, she just won the Pulitzer for The Night Watchman. And I read Love Medicine, which came out in 1984. I think I was in middle school when I read that. And I know that I don't remember enjoying it. And I know like I was in middle school. So I'm really curious to go back now and read it again and see like how I would feel about it now. Because I don't, you know, I think like kids should be allowed to read whatever books they want at whatever age. But that definitely, I think, went over my head. Uh, so I would love to go back and read that again. I do want to give content warnings for mentions of racism and racialized language and violence, police violence, chemical use, abuse, and death related to chemical use, illness, and mentions of the pandemic, which I know uh, several people have mentioned that they are not, they don't want to read about the pandemic right now. So I just want to give a heads up for that. This is The Sentence by Louise Erdrich. I, the only thing I've ever read from her is Future Home of the Living God, because I too tried to read, like, I think Roundhouse when I was way too young, and it just wasn't doing it for me, but it's because I, you know, knew nothing about life. <laughs> it went over my head, so I need to, <laughs> I definitely need to go back and read the rest of her stuff. Yeah, there were certainly some books that I used to read as a kid, because I was just obnoxious and, and little and being like, oh, all the grownups are taking this book out at the library, I'm yep. going to take it out too, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's, I mean, if there wasn't, you know, just like this limited amount of time, I constantly wish I could go back and reread stuff that either, even if I did like it, I just kind of want to go back and read stuff that I know I was reading, you know, quote unquote, too young to like get, but you It's know. fun. It's it's a fun thing to do. I read The Witches of Easter when I was 11. Of course you did. And I reread it when I was like 30 and I was like, wow, I missed all of this. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. This is really dirty. <laughs> Wait. Yep. Well, there's a thing I'm going to do. <laughs> Uh, well, I'm very excited about my next pick. It is not dirty, but it is a lot of fun, <laughs> and which is uh, The Undertakers by Nicole Glover. So this is a sequel to a book that I loved from last year called The Conductors, which is a, well, it's now a series, obviously. It's a magical mystery and alternate history that's set in Reconstruction era Philly, Philadelphia. The two main characters are Hetty and Benji Rose, both of whom are really skilled and adept at uh, constellation magic, like they do sigil work. It's really like different kind of magic that I, I haven't seen a whole ton of. And they're famous conductors, or were famous conductors, they still are famous, for being conductors on the Vigilance Society, which was a group of folks who helped enslaved Black people on the path to freedom along the Underground Railroad. So they're really known for all of their, their missions and their exploits. And this book actually flashes, flashes, flashes back and forth between their trips to the South and the present, where they now use their magic to sort of serve as their local community's detectives. They look into the cases in their, you know, very Black community that the white police, like, don't find apparently worthy of their time. In the first book, the issue that they're facing is that a friend from the community is turned up dead, and then the search for answers is leading them, like, a little too close to home. So now in this sequel, they are running a new funeral home, still looking into cases. Their latest case is one that involves fires that have been spontaneously kind of popping out throughout the neighborhood. And it claims the life of someone in that neighborhood. And then they solve the case like a little too easily. It seems like it's kind of open and shut. But then the victim of the person who was killed in that fire, his son also dies. And then that death brings up questions about a mission from Hetty and Benji's days with the Vigilance Society. These books are so fun. They 
It's funny because they're not like super fast paced or thrilling like in, you know, as you're going, but they really, really build to kind of a little fever pitch towards the end. And they're just so compelling. And I love the details of like their particular magic. It's very like subtle, but also very powerful. It's just, again, not like the maybe kinds that you're used to reading about. So I I really, really love that. I also super love Hetty and Benji's dynamic because their relationship sort of started off very like pragmatic and kind of practical, but it's evolved over time into something that is maybe not like typically affectionate, but it's it's something very like deep and respectful and they're just like a great combo. So I know I'm a broken record here, but just diverse mysteries are just so nice to see because it is a genre that has been a huge part of my life for my entire life. And it's really nice to actually get to read about different communities now. And again, the magic itself adds this really cool layer to these particular mysteries. And you'll, again, it's not like it's one of those like your page turning, but then once you get to a certain point, like you can't stop reading. So I definitely stayed up to like two to finish the first one last year. So anyway, this is such a good series. I do recommend probably reading them in order for some character development stuff. So this is The Undertakers by Nicole Glover, sequel to The Conductors. I have not read the sequel yet, but I do highly recommend the first one as well. It was excellent. It's so good. So good. Yeah, it's really good. So my next pick is Oh Beautiful by Jung Yun. That's O, just the letter O. O Beautiful, as in America. The Beautiful it is a hard but fantastic read. Jung Yun is the author of Shelter, which is an excellent book. I highly recommend going back and reading this one. This one is an incisive look at a divided country and racism and the Me Too movement. The main character is Eleanor Hansen. She is a 40-something former model. And at the beginning of the book, she's flying to North Dakota on assignment She has attended journalism school in the last few years, and now she has an assignment to cover the oil boom in this specific town in North Dakota. And actually, Eleanor was born in North Dakota about an hour from where she's going to travel. Uh, She was born there, and she hasn't visited in many, many years. And so she's going to write about the oil boom, and she's, first of all, surprised by how different the town is. Um, it was, you know, a town where, like, they barely had, like, a post office in one store, and now there's tons of hotels, and nobody can get a room, and thousands of men are showing up for jobs, and there's only, you know, a limited number of jobs. They actually have things that are called man camps, which are just set up for the the workers who are there, and they're like, I'm just here to, like, make a ton of money for a short period of time and then get out of here because it's terrible work and it's terrible here, and Eleanor is harassed a lot in her life. Like I said, she was a former model. Uh, She gets catcalled all the time and she gets harassed. She, you know, racist comments because she is Asian and she's used to like people staring at her for one reason or another. And now she's an Asian woman in this town and it happens all the time. She has an ugly altercation on the plane ride to North Dakota with this man who's, who's sitting next to her. And, you know, when she gets there, she's telling people that, you know, she grew up in, in North Dakota and people don't believe that she's from North Dakota because they're racist and they're like, oh, she's Asian. She, you know, where did you come from, really? And, you know, her mother was Korean and her father was American and, and that's where she grew up. And, you know, she had a hard childhood. Her father was a tyrant and a racist. Her mother eventually ran away and left her and her older sister in the care of her father, like I who was not a nice man, like I said. She was sexually assaulted when she was older. Uh, she had issues with chemical use. 
And she's not proud of some of the decisions that she has made in her life, you know, and she's, she's trying this new career now um, in journalism. But she actually got the assignment from her journalism professor, who she also had an affair with, who was also not very nice to her. Um, she has a long history of dating abusers, and she's tired of it, and she doesn't know what can be done. But she's, she's getting to her breaking point now. Um, and as she digs deeper into the assignment and learns more about this town and what's going on there, she also learns more about herself and her family and, and her past. It's an unflinching look at, and I don't use that word often, but I really feel like it's appropriate here. Um, it's an unflinching look at toxic masculinity and sexism and racism. I whipped through this book. And, like, found myself leaning forward in my chair because I was like, what is going to happen to Eleanor? Like, what is what is happening right now? It's difficult, but it's necessary. I do want to give content warnings for mentions of sexual assault, domestic abuse, chemical use and abuse, gaslighting, fetishism, and racialized language and violence. It is Oh Beautiful by Jung Yun. Okay. I just realized this was very unintentional in part because we did have so many books moving around that I ended up with three mysteries on my list. That was not intentional, I swear. Hey, mysteries are good. I know. I just like, I read other things, I swear. (laughs) It's just, this is the way it laid out, but oh well. They're great books, so I don't really feel that bad. This one is actually one that came out last week, but I I love this series so much and I will continue to talk about it because as much as it feels like people do know in my circle, I find that others don't, so... This is Miss Moriarty, I presume, by Sherry Thomas. This is the Lady Sherlock series. This is now the fifth, fifth, no, sixth book in the series. And if you don't know the Lady Sherlock series, I love it so much. It's a gender bent kind of retake, remake, if you will, reimagining really of the Sherlock Holmes books. I love reimaginings in general, but this is just one of my very, very favorite examples for many reasons that I will soon explain. So again, this is the sixth book in the series. It's a historical series set in Victorian England. And in these books, Charlotte Holmes, who is our main character, has decided that she wants to live life on her terms. And she's committed. Like she purposely ruined, quote unquote, herself by getting involved with a you know man when she wasn't married so that basically she'd be left alone. Like again, she did this very much on purpose. She's like, I insist on living life on my terms, making a living by my wits and my savvy. So here, I'm just going to do this and maybe y'all will stop bothering me to get married. So along with her benefactor, Mrs. Watson, <laughs> Watson, she runs a detective service that she advertises in the papers. But like, of course, in Victorian England, she wouldn't be able to do this or they wouldn't be able to, you know, as just two women. So they operate under a little ruse. And that is that Charlotte interviews clients who come in search of the great Sherlock Holmes. But Sherlock Holmes is like a, an unwell person or like her brother of her invention like he doesn't exist but she you know brings them in and essentially tells them that her brother Sherlock Holmes is listening from another room but because he's unwell he he doesn't like to be you know public facing and so they tell her the details of the story she goes into another room and like processes and then comes back and like offers you know her services and they all along think that she's just acting as his proxy when really again he doesn't exist and that's how she makes her living so in this latest book The criminal mastermind Moriarty, who, you know, again, the books do have some parallels to the original Sherlock stories. Um, He has enlisted Charlotte's help under a different name in finding his daughter, who he he fears something tragic has befallen her ever since she ran off to this remote community near Cornwall. It's like an occult group, a religious group, sounds very culty. 
And at the same time, Charlotte's sister Livia gets a strange message from a man that she has been like involved with over the course of the books, uh, her like love interest, who has been pulled, and not for the first time, back into Moriarty's web. So there's like a few coincidences. The case itself is all kinds of interesting, and the more Charlotte leans into it and you know gets further into the case, the more she really starts to ask herself, like, why why me? Like, why would Moriarty, knowing that we've been at odds? And just knowing, like, all that's at stake here, why would he come to me, of all people, to solve this case? And that, of course, is what you'll have to find out. Adding to what are really smart, clever mysteries, which I do think in this case you should, again, probably read in order because of the character development and some spoilery stuff that maybe won't make sense to you. But my favorite of the, the side plots, I guess, is Charlotte's relationship with this one Lord Ingram. It's the uh, sl- slow, slow burn romance, and I do mean slow and that's only because Lord Ingram at the beginning of the stories is married and insists on propriety. Charlotte has been out here since book one being A-OK with the idea of being his mistress. And he's like, no, I can't do that. But before you judge her, like read the books, it's a, it's a complicated situation that I cannot tell you for spoiler reasons. But that being said, it is, again, such just a fantastic, very like feminist series. I, Charlotte is obsessed with desserts and like specifically cake, which is why I laughed when Liberty at the top of the show was like, I want cake. Because she loves cake. (laughs) She loves cake. She can't resist cake. Every time someone invites her for like tea and cake, she, you know, has to indulge and only stops when she feels like she's reached quote unquote maximum tolerable chins, which I love. And she's like a very curvy woman. I just love everything about this. And if you are an audiobook listener, highly recommend this series on audio. They're all read by Kate Redding. And she's just like the perfect person for what I imagine is Charlotte's like particular personality. So again, these books are so, so wonderful. These are the Lady Sherlock books. This one is Miss Moriarty, I presume, by Sherry Thomas. So Sherlock Holmes, like anybody can write a Sherlock Holmes story now because it's in the public domain. And we have like a A zillion different tellings of him. And we have all the Jane Austens now and all this. And like, you know, Gatsby just entered the ring. Mm -hmm. Gatsby has entered the chat (laughs) Uh, like, you know, a couple of years ago. And now we're seeing a bunch of Gatsby. And I like 100 years from now, like, what are people going to be? you know, writing about, like, is it going to be, like, different stories with Annie Wilkes yep. or different, you know, like, I'm just so curious. I mean, I, I won't be around, I don't think. <laughs> Perhaps not. <laughs> but, you know, I'm so curious to know, like, what big books now, I know. you know, or in the past, you know, 50 years are going to be, like, retellings. It's it's kind of fun to think about. I mean, even now, like, every, every year we put out a post that's, like, books that are entering the public domain in blah, blah, blah year. We have one coming out for 2022. And even that, like, you think you know all the stuff that, like, might be coming, but Mm -hmm. it's hard to keep track of. It's actually pretty cool to watch that list and be like, oh, that's in the domain now? And then what, you know, a couple years later, you just see, like, the, the flux of those tellings. So it's, it's cool. It's kind of great. Yeah. Gatsby was a real surprise because it's still so prevalent in, super, like, schools and stuff. So when that happened, I was like, wow. But um, there's a there's a great Gatsby retelling uh, coming next year called Beautiful Little Fools by Julian Cantor, which I absolutely loved, Ooh. which shocked me because I, I don't like the great Gatsby. I say that quietly. Me neither. It's okay. I know. It's okay. But I loved this retelling, so I'm going to talk about it on the show, I'm sure. <laughs> but I don't know. I just I wonder what else. What else will, will we be hearing about in, like, contemporary settings, you know? Yep. Like, Hercule Poirot will be, you know, solving mysteries, you know, using a rocket pack and, <laughs> you know, like a... <laughs> I had a million ideas as to where you were going, and that was not one. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm also so... I almost said a Blackberry, <laughs> because I'm oh my not God, quite... 
I'm still not quite up on today's technology. <laughs> oh, oh good. If we had show titles, I would absolutely choose Hercule with the Blackberry, but you know, we can. <laughs> so, all right. I'm going to tell you about a couple of books next. This for, Both of them are coming out in the next couple of weeks, but because we have some special shows coming up, uh, we have our gift show and some other stuff, uh, I want to get them in there now. The first is... Forging a Nightmare by Patricia A. Jackson. This one comes out on the 23rd, and you are going to be so excited when you get your hands on it because it's so much fun. However, I will tell you up front that I read this book without reading the description. Like, at all. Someone said, you should read this book. I did. And so I was pleasantly surprised a whole bunch of times because I had no idea what it was about. So if you want to experience that as well, you should just skip ahead because I'm going to tell you some of the things. Not all of them. There's very little I can tell you without spoiling it. So I am going to tell you some more things about it, though. All right. You still with me? Okay. So this is a dark urban fantasy novel about an FBI agent who is sent to investigate a serial killer... The serial killer has very specific victims. All of the victims have six fingers and six toes, and they are believed to be Nephilims or fallen angels, which is something that I learned from watching The Prophecy with Christopher Walken like a million times when I was a kid (laughs) or in my 20s. (laughs) So Michael Child is this FBI agent, and he is searching for this murderer, and his search for the murderer leads him to meet a marine sniper named Anaba Rains who is not who she first appears to be. But I can't tell you anything else about her because it's super spoilery. Although I think they might mention it in the description. Don't read the description. Have I mentioned don't read anything about this? Uh, But what Michael also discovers is something very shocking about himself. But he doesn't really have much time to process all of this new information that he is getting because all of a sudden he is set upon by holy and unholy beings. It just immediately. So he's constantly fighting these creatures, these people. If you ever wondered what it would be like if Good Omens was mashed up with the Black Stallion with a dash of Loki, then this is the book for you. It's really funny, and it's dark. I want to give you a heads up that the opening scene is really gruesome when they find the first body, but it's pretty much action, 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 like the whole way through. I love the characters, especially Annaba, the Marine. Uh, There is a a scene at the very beginning where he's getting his butt kicked and he's not really sure about how he feels about her yet, if he's going to trust her or not. So she's just standing there watching while he's getting beat up and he has to decide, like, am I going to ask her for help or is she just going to, like, let me get my butt kicked? And it's just really funny. I also liked all the appearances made by characters from religion and mythology. I'm really looking forward to another book in this world. I have my fingers crossed hoping that that we get one, um, you know, content warnings for, you know, violence, supernatural violence, and death. It's so great. It's Forging a Nightmare by Patricia A. Jackson. And now we are going to hear from our next sponsor. Okay, Vanessa, what do you have for us next? I have another mystery. (laughs) All right. (laughs) My next one is a delightful cozy. It's called Body and Soul Food by Abby Collette. So I knew this author's name sounded familiar, but I just could not be bothered at the time to look it up. Don't know why. But I only just literally right now made the connection, which is that Abby Collette is also the author of a mystery series that Lib actually talked about on the show with me. It, it was the, I think, Ice Cream Parlor mystery series. It starts with a deadly inside scoop. And I think the next one is called Game of Cones. 
Yes. Yeah, right? Okay, cool. So I thought. Um, and I've been meaning to read those, and they've been on my list forever, and I just hadn't gotten around to it, and I accidentally read her, you know, next series, so that's great. <laughs> she also writes mysteries under a different name. Which Abby I'm... Vandiver. Yeah, that part I did know. Go. Yeah, I did look there that part up. So I don't know why I looked that part up, but not like her real name. <laughs> <sighs> anyway, <laughs> that's where my brain is at these days. But so this is the start of a brand new cozy mystery, ser- mystery series, and this one, again, is called... The book is called Body and Soul Food, but the series is the Books and Biscuits series, which I love. This one is about fraternal twins, Keaton and Kobe, who were orphaned when they were toddlers, and then they were separated. But their bond was so strong, so unbreakable, that they found their way back to each other. And now as adults, they've reunited, they're closer than ever, and they've decided to open up a business that's like a mishmash of both of their interests, and that is a cozy bookstore combo with a soul food cafe. And what are they naming it? books and biscuits. So that's where the series name comes from. But then tragedy strikes when Kobe's foster brother winds up dead. And he's not just dead, but it murdered. And it was a really public murder. It's one that happened between stops of the local light rail and the police don't seem to be able to solve it. So there's just like one week left until Books and Biscuits, you know, their grand opening and Kobe and Keaton are obviously very distraught by this case. And so they decide they're going to join forces and solve this mystery. It's such a fun start to a series. It's it's cozy. It's it's quite a page turner, at least I found, especially for a cozy. And it's set in the Pacific Northwest. I forget the name of the town, but ever since moving here, I've just had a bit of a, you know, always delighted when I find that that happens, because it's always like a fun little treat. Um, and yeah, as uh, Liberty mentioned, she does write under the name of not only Abby Colette, but also Abby Vandiver. She has like the first book I can think of is uh, Love, Lies, and Crawfish Pies, because cozies just have the best titles. And this was just such a fun, again, page turny, cozy, lots of, you know, foodie stuff going on, a really cool bond between siblings. It was just great. I really loved it. And a lot of the foodie cozies that I've met tend to be set in like the South or other places. It was just cool to see one that was, you know, based up here in the PNW. So really, really fun. Can't wait to go back and, and finally read the rest of her stuff. That's Body and Soul Food by Abby Collette. And if you like the Ice Cream Parlor Mysteries, the third one comes out the first week of January. It's called The Killer Sunday. (laughs) I'd love that. (laughs) Yeah. I'm so excited. I just want to get a job naming Cozy Mysteries. That would be so much fun. You really, we talked about this. You absolutely should. That would be fun. You always think like, okay, how many more puns can they come up with? And then they do. It's amazing. Always. There's always. People are endlessly surprising. I like it very much. As are you. Well, thank you. And now for my last pick today, I'm going to ask all of you to humor me because it is very much in the Liberty Hardy wheelhouse. Uh, We don't talk about sports on the show very often, and I loved this book. And I was going to talk about it on the gift show, but I figured if I talk about it today, then I can fit another book in on the gift show. I'm always wheeling and dealing with the books. It is Wish It Lasted Forever, Life with the Larry Bird Celtics by Dan Shaughnessy. This one comes out next week, and... As I mentioned a couple of times on the show, I love Larry Bird. He's He played for the Celtics when I was a little kid. I used to watch all the games with my dad. And he's one of the best NBA players of all time. And I find it to be very relaxing to like watch highlight videos of Larry Bird like when I'm feeling stressed out. That's 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 my go-to for meditation. I just he's amazing. He's an amazing player. It's fun to watch. And even if you don't like the Celtics, if they're not your team, I know that, you know, everybody has their teams. If you like basketball, if you just like reading about sports, it's very interesting. It's also very interesting because this is Dan Shaughnessy's kind of memoir. Uh, He was the beat reporter for the Boston Globe uh, from 82 to 86, covering the Boston Celtics every day. And 
you learn a lot about the NBA back then. I didn't know, for instance, that the NBA was not a super popular franchise until about the last 30 or so years. They used to put off, they didn't show the games in real time. They used to put off airing them until like the middle of the night because people didn't, not many people watched them until like later in the night. You know, they they didn't get those super huge endorsement deals. They weren't making millions of dollars. The players were like sleeping on the bus. The, the reporters would go with them and just, they would, this doesn't happen as often now. Like they would just go on the bus with them, hang out with them, share hotel rooms with them, play poker with them. You know, they were just like living with them all the time, you know, horrible airplane food and you know the players would like speaking of wheeling and dealing they would wheel and deal with the coach like if I did really good in this game can I you know sit up front in the plane like they they did they were not the players of today and and, you know anyone who watches the NBA now knows like things are so different you know like there are different things that are allowed there are things that are not allowed now I myself am a huge fan of the sneaker rule being removed and like all the different color sneakers that that the players wear now. I get very excited about that. I'm like, look at those sneakers. I just, I, you know, basically when I watch sports, I watch everything else that's going on in the game except for like what's actually happening. (laughs) My husband is like keeping track of what's going on with the sports and I'm just like, look at that guy's shoes. Look at that woman who's sitting in back, you know. Wow, that court has, you know, waitresses walking up and down like along the side. Like it's just, I'm constantly remarking on other things. And then, of course, if you are a Celtics fan, it's amazing to read about, you know, Kevin McHale and Robert Parrish and, you know, Dennis Johnson and uh, Larry Bird, of course, Danny Ainge. I mean, I I love the Celtics. I was surprised the first time I went to Florida. I guess I shouldn't be surprised because we have a lot of people from Florida who come to Maine for the summer. I guess I shouldn't have been surprised, like, how many Boston sports fans there are down in Florida. But... It's it's just really interesting. It's a, it's an older time, you know. I feel like it's a part of my childhood, and it was really fun to read about. And like I said, even if you don't like the Celtics, which I'm sure there are a couple of you out there who don't, it's fun to read about the sport if you liked the Last Dance documentary, um, or you just like reading about sports, or just learning about anything in general. It's excellent. It is called Wish It Lasted Forever, Life with the Larry Bird Celtics by Dan Shaughnessy. I am a lifelong Laker fan, and so I'm supposed to, like, hate the Celtics with everything in my heart, I suppose. But I have been meaning to read this because Larry Bird is indeed an icon. And I just, yeah, I love The Last Dance. I love sports stuff, and it's great. Well, did you know that the, what was it, Michigan? Was that his? Oh, my God, I can't remember now. I'm forgetting. But uh, the 1979 NCAA championship game with Larry Bird and Magic Johnson, where they faced off in 1979, that is still, like, the most watched final game of the college series or, like, college game. 1979! Record still hasn't been broken. Yeah, I was going to say, 79, that's that's wild. Wow. More people watch that game than, than any other, still, to this day, college game. Huh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. I know all kinds of nerdy stuff about Larry Bird. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm like, I'm also pretty sure yeah. you have other facts in that brain and you just oh, proved yeah. my point. <laughs> what's, what's today? The 6th? Today's the 6th. So, like, in three days, it'll be the anniversary of his fight with Dr. J, that famous fight where they're <laughs> grabbing each other by the neck. neck. Like, I know all kinds of, like, <laughs> that's amazing. nerdy Larry Bird stuff. <laughs> I will also say, too, that I get a lot of kick out of going back and watching just, like, yeah, like, reels of, like, old sports stuff and not necessarily just Larry Bird. But if you ever just, like, really want to geek out over, like, the capacity of the human body to do wild things, like, just watch, like, those, like, a dunk contest and just watch these people fly. (laughs) Like, fly. It is wild. I love it. It's great. Yeah. It's really fun. It is. And I like cable because, like, it records old games for me. Yep. You know, I just set it to like a team and like it, it, I watched an 87 game with the Celtics and the Lakers the other day. I was like, phew, didn't know I needed that. It was fun. <laughs> but here I am. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I love that. 
Okay, well, my book is real different, but I love it. <laughs> um, and this is actually also one that came out last week. It's called Skin of the Sea by Natasha Bowen. I actually haven't had a chance to read very much of this one yet. I am very, very, very into the beginnings of it. But I, A, the cover is stunning. Like, I was already going to read it. And then they actually were a sponsor for the site at one point last week. And I just saw the banner. I was like, I need to read that book. And I realized you just started reading that book, which was a great little moment of synergy. But it is, oh, it just sounds so good. And so far what I have read, I've loved. It's inspired by West African mythology and pitched as Children of Blood and Bone meets The Little Mermaid. And so like, yeah, give me that. <laughs> and except that in this case, the mermaid takes on the gods themselves. We meet Simi, who is a mermaid or what we would think of as a mermaid, but not just any one. She once had a life and a family and, you know, a whole existence on land. And when the book opens, we know that she is indeed a, a mermaid, but she's, again, not just regular mermaid. She's actually been turned into a mamiwata, which is a water spirit that is celebrated in a lot of West, Central, and Southern African mythology and in the African diaspora in the Americas, often depicted as a mermaid, sometimes as a snake charmer, according to some of the online sources that I saw, but in this case is absolutely um, like a mermaid creature. And we learn that it is her particular charge to grant safe passage to the souls of enslaved people who have been thrown into the sea. So when the book opens, that is precisely what she's doing. Someone is thrown overboard. It's a woman. And um, she basically helps her soul, you know, go on. And so she there's this really interesting like scene in the beginning where her, her soul, like they make eye contact and then the soul sort of flows through to this sapphire kind of pendant that she wears. And then from there, once the soul has been, you know, passed, she lets the, the you know, the, her cor corporeal body go into the sea and then she takes care of her soul. And that's what she's supposed to do. And you also learn that she, she's one of the only of the, I think, six, six or eight, I can't remember the number, but of the Mamiwatas that still very much longs for her life on land. And she routinely will go up to this particular island and then choose to like take on her regular human form, even though it's very painful to do so. Everyone else is like, just let go of it. Like, why do you insist on doing that? But she just can't seem quite to let go of those memories. So as we're finding all these bits about her, she then, another person gets, you know, tossed overboard. And this time it is a young boy. And then she does the unthinkable, which is that instead of letting his you know, soul pass and helping him, she actually chooses to save his life. And that is a big, big, big deal. It goes against an ancient decree. Punishment awaits anybody who dares to defy that. So to protect herself and the other Mamiwata, Simi must journey to the Supreme Creator to like make amends, which means traveling in her human form. Again, a painful process, returning to land. But that's when she starts to learn that not all is as it seems. The boy that she rescues seems to know a lot more than he should. There's also, she gets the feeling that something is like shadowing her forces working against her. It's just like, you, again, very like ominous. And I've learned most of this in like the first, I don't know, like 50 pages, probably less than that. So it just sounds wonderful. There are some parallels to again, like the traditional Little Mermaid story, the if she like she'll turn to sea foam if she acts on her love for a human. The book is full of references to Yoruba gods and goddesses, specifically the Orishas. It is suspenseful. I do, of course, need to give trigger warnings because given the subject matter, um, it is full of discussions of the, of, you know, enslavement, violence related to enslavement, uh, and all this stuff kind of therein. The, this cover, again, is just absolutely stunning and I can't wait to dive into the rest of that story. So that again is Skin of the Sea by Natasha Bowen. All right. 
That is it for our new books. What are you going to read next? I am in the middle of a novella, or in the middle, I just started it, but it's, uh, I love Diana Biller. I have like a hangover from The Widow of Rose House, and Trisha from When in Romance was kind enough to point out that she has a lovely Christmas novella called A Christmas Spark, and it's um, like an office romance, but with scientists set in 1843. I cannot wait. Oh my goodness. Amazing. Isn't that great? I can't wait. Yeah. Um, I really, really, really loved Widow of Rose House, so I can't wait to dive in. Well, and, it's amazing to me because uh, uh, Trisha visited Portland one time, and we went to the bookstore together, and she got me to buy The Widow of Rose House, which I still have not read. Sorry. Oh my gosh, Liberty, it's so good. I'm. It's like my favorite romance. I need to pick it up. I don't know where I put it. You just reminded me, so that's awesome. Oh, it's so good. And sorry, I, I interrupted you. I'm, I'm very, I got very excited. I'm happy to interrupt me for you for with this because I love that book and I want more people to know about it. And she also has another book that I think just recently came out, and I cannot remember the name of it right now to save my life. But something about Paris. I'm gonna mark it down, then I gotta go find it. <laughs> it good thing you only have a few books to sort through. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I am also reading, and this is gonna sound like a plug. It's very unintentional, but it just happens to be what I'm doing right now. I'm also reading Casino Royale by Ian Fleming, the first Bond novel. And the reason I'm reading it is because I'm going to be talking about it with Jeff on the next edition of Adaptation Nation, which is our new podcast where we talk about adaptations. <laughs> the first one awesome. was about Dune, and this next one will be about Casino Royale, and I'm a giant Bond fan, so this is going to be... I didn't know that about you. Oh my gosh, I love, 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 love. I love like fizz bang boom books and movies, if that makes sense. Like I love the Bourne fl- films. I love Indiana Jones. I love Bond. Like give me a spy adventure situation any old time. And yeah, I absolutely just cried my way through the last Bond movie. <laughs> but uh, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> what are you reading? <laughs> so as soon as we finish, I'm going to pick up a novella I just got called Rosebud by Paul Cornell. And... I have to read it because the description says it's a multi-layered locked room science fiction novella in which five digital beings unravel their existences to discover the truth of their humanity. Okay. Which sounds cool, but then later in the description it says, (laughs) the crew of the Rosebud are currently, and by force of law, a balloon, a goth with a swagger (laughs) stick, some sort of science aristocrat possibly, a ball of hands, and a swarm of insects. It's like, I feel like all of those things every day. <laughs> I just scrolled down as you were saying that in our agenda. I had not seen the second part. and then, I, I'm sorry, I laughed in the middle of your description, but I saw all those words and was like, wait, what? Like, who played so, roulette? <laughs> it's like, I need to read it and understand what these words mean. It comes out at the end of April, and it just sounds really fun. So, And then I am also uh, in the middle of Misery by Stephen King, which was made into a film, which I'm reading for other reasons besides Adaptation Nation. Although I did just go back and watch the film, and it's excellent. It is really excellent. Kathy Bates. Yeah. Although now as an adult, I realize that... (laughs) I'm just talking about all of my wheelhouse today. I realize that they say that that Paul has a 65... Ford Mustang, but the one that they show in the movie is a 66. <laughs> of course you know this, of course. <laughs> I'm such a nerd. <laughs> I heart you deeply. <laughs> this is what everybody comes for. <laughs> oh, so that is all for today. Thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to our awesome awesome audio editor, Jen Zink. The wheels are coming off, speaking of cars. Uh, You can drop us a line at allthebooks at bookriot.com. If you want to find us online, we hang out on Instagram. Vanessa is Buenos Dias SD. I am Franzen Comes Alive. 
And if you want to give us a treat, you can go to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating or review. It helps other book lovers to find us. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time. But you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And for more recs or general bookishness, check out bookriot.com. And don't forget to check out our full stable of podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen, or just search Book Riot on your podcast player of choice. And in the meantime, happy, happy reading. reading.